there's this wonderful freedom you have in Christ as a Christian to say, Lord God, I am overwhelmed. I am feeling the fact that I am not in control of my life or this world or even my own body or emotions. Will you walk with me? Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chapel, and I'm so thankful you're here to join in on today's conversation with author and biblical counselor, Alistair Groves. We're talking about his book, Untangling Emotions, to learn more about a biblical approach to addressing our overwhelming feelings, and also to discover how negative emotions can actually serve redemptive purposes. Finally, we want to understand how the gospel of Jesus Christ frees believers to engage our emotions in fruitful ways. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Alistair Groves directs the New England branch of the Christian Counseling Education Foundation and is a faculty member at CCEF, where he currently serves as the director of the School of Biblical Counseling. He received his Master of Divinity in Counseling from Westminster Theological Seminary. Alistair has served on the staff of several churches and has a background in campus ministry. He writes for the Journal of Biblical Counseling and regularly teaches a variety of seminars around the New England region. Alistair and his wife, Lauren, have three children. Hey, welcome to the show, Alistair. Thank you for having me. You recently co-authored a book with Winston Smith entitled Untangling Emotions, which I found to be very insightful. The book as a whole really aims to equip believers in Christ to engage their emotions rather than become consumed by them or attempt to avoid them altogether. And I just want to make a point, too, that when I say you write, I mean either it was you or Winston writing, but obviously (laughs) Winston's not here with us, but you write in the book that the way we respond to our emotions, including how we feel about how we feel, is of vital importance to our relationship with God and others in our life. So building off that statement, could you give us an overview of the book and explain what you and Winston mean by this observation? Yeah, sure. Let me start by sort of just laying out the core idea of of the book and kind of how we put it together. We spend a lot of time talking about the structure of the book. What we want is for someone to be able to read the book and feel like almost this is what it would be like to counsel with Alistair or with Winston. And there was a, you know, okay, where would we start? And how would we actually walk through a conversation and enter into relationships? So what, we, what we've seen as counselors is that there's an enormous amount of emotion around issues that come up in counseling. And the issues that come up in counseling are the issues that come up for everyone. There's, there's, it's not like there's this unique small group of people who need counseling. It's, it's all of us need counsel from each other and, and from the word all the time. And yeah, sometimes it gets more severe, but the book in as a whole is, is really trying to say, okay, th- this whole area of emotions tends to be confusing, tends to be troubling, tends to be hard. And we just want to help people have a better handle on how, how do I think about what's going on inside of me with this confusing, often overwhelming experience in a way that's biblical? How do we understand what what God would say to us about it. So the first section of the book just lays out 
what are emotions? What is a biblical view of them? How do we think about them? Then the second section gets a little bit more specific and says, okay, given that understanding of what they are, how does the Scripture call us to deal with them? What does it mean to respond to this experience we're having? And and then the third section really gets specific on particular emotions. So we talked about fear and guilt and shame and grief and a couple others as ways of saying, okay, let's apply this in specific places that the most number of people would probably have the most significant struggles. Um, and then we actually have an appendix at the end uh, where we talk a little bit further about, okay, and does God have emotions? And what do we mean by that? Because we talk a lot about the idea that we have emotions because God has emotions, but obviously there are some differences there too. So Right. Well, there are emotions we experience often, just as you mentioned, fear, anger, shame, guilt, and sorrow. But I think for many Christians, we tend to view these feelings as bad or unspiritual or as even maybe an evidence of weak faith in Christ. Yet you write in the book that we have to start by understanding what is good about our negative emotions if we are ever going to handle them well when they are out of order. So what kind of role can our negative emotions play in life? And is it possible for the Holy Spirit to redeem them for the purposes of heart change? And what ways do these emotions act as a barometer of the heart? I, I love that question. <laughs> that just gets right to the it, it gets right to the I think the core insight that made us want to write the book in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because I historically I would say I had exactly the view of emotions that you just described, which is, you know, all those sort of negative feelings are bad. Like you should not have them. And let me actually take a moment to lay out the logic behind that way of thinking, because it there's a lot that's very compelling about it. And it goes something like this. If I believe the gospel is true, if I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and my good shepherd, uh, that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, then any bad thing that ever happens, well, God's going to redeem it. He's going to use it for good. So basically, why would I ever feel sad or afraid or upset or angry or dismayed or distressed? Like Mm -hmm. there's really no reason why you would ever feel anything bad if God's in perfect control and if he's sovereign. And so therefore, if you are feeling bad things, then that's a sign that your faith, you don't really believe that God is sovereign. Right. And I couldn't have put those words on it that clearly and quickly, but I think that's sort of how I would have thought um, a while back. And what the problem with that simple statement of the view of this is what Scripture says is that it just doesn't hold up to Scripture itself. Uh, you have to get rid of a lot of the book of Psalms. You have to throw out the book of Job. You have to get rid of Lamentations. You get rid of massive chunks of the prophets. You have to throw out uh, various aspects of what Jesus is doing in his ministry. You're looking at Paul, and you've got to get rid of some of his letters. Like, you just you can't read Scripture and conclude that all negative emotions are bad all of the time. And so we actually start in the book with, uh, with Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus weeping and thinking about what a, what a bizarre thing that is. I mean, here's Jesus, God himself, right, who's about to raise Lazarus from the dead and totally fix the problem that Lazarus is experiencing, having died, that his sisters are experiencing in their grief. Like, Jesus just fixed the problem already. Why are you weeping? This doesn't make any sense. And and yet the, the answer is he weeps because he loves Lazarus, because he loves Mary and Martha, and he enters into their pain with them, even if it's only for 10 minutes. Right. And in other cases, it might be for 80 years before he raises us. But there's going to be a perfect redemption of every suffering and problem. But love, perfection, God who cares about his world, does indeed grieve when things are 
broken. He is angry when sin happens and something is destroyed or unjust. And so I began to see, and Winston and I talked more and more about realizing how much the glory of God is revealed just as much in anger against sin as it is in delight at the fruit of the Spirit. And that's not uh, – it's not like there's good emotions and bad emotions. You can have really good sorrow. You can have really good anger. You can have really good, godly, righteous grief, even fear. You know, Paul mm-hmm. talks about fear as – that. maybe we'll get – more into that later, but Paul will talk about himself as anxious in a good way. And then you can have bad joy, right? You can rejoice in things that you ought to be ashamed of. And in fact, the prophets talk about that many times. So it's a totally different paradigm than good emotions versus bad emotions. It's actually saying all emotions can either connect us to the kingdom and connect us to the Lord or pull us away from them. And until we understand what it looks like to be in the Garden of Gethsemane and be utterly dismayed in a perfectly godly way, we're not going to handle our negative emotions well, even when they are off and away from the Lord. Well, sometimes we experience overwhelming emotions while we're walking through a period of physical suffering or change. And I really appreciated that you address this reality in the book, because I think it's a topic that can cause a a big amount of confusion. You write, even when our bodies are influencing our emotions, it doesn't mean our hearts no longer matter or that the help of the living God and his word have to take a back seat. Can you offer our listeners some insight into how we might approach a biblical view of the body-soul connection, especially as it pertains to our experience of emotions? Sure. Um, you said we have three hours, right? <laughs> oh man, I, I yeah. Let me let me try to give um, two quick thoughts on the body soul connection. First off, we are a body and we are a soul, and it's it's uh, been said by thousands of other people, so I don't need to deeply get into it here. But I think there there is still this temptation sometimes for us to sort of see the body as bad or lesser, and just to be embarrassed by sort of anything bodily going on. And that's just not the biblical picture. These these bodies are part of our image bearing and in some mysterious way that we don't fully understand exactly what that means. But so um, I think the the one danger in thinking about bodies and souls is to see to see the body as nothing, to see it as unimportant, to see it as basically like, look, all your problems, especially your emotional problems, they're all purely spiritual. If you just had more faith or if you were just more loving or if you just like flip the switch inside yourself or read the Bible a little more or whatever, all your emotions will eventually kind of get to the place where they ought to be. And that just doesn't acknowledge that we have bodies and that in fact our our emotions are hardwired into us, and that was God's design. Um, we were meant to feel our hearts pounding faster in our chest when something exciting happens. And, uh, you know, you, you have literal water that leaks out of your eyes when you get really sad. Um, that's incredibly physical, and that's that's appropriate. That's good. Uh, that's, that's a right way for us to experience God's world. And our bodies actually help us keep our emotions focused where they ought to be focused or, uh, you know, they can go the wrong way too, but but the the physiologicalness of it is a good thing. So the danger of hey, forget the body, let's ignore the body when we think about emotions. I think is a very real danger for us in the church. But there is the flip side danger too of the body is everything. Mm-hmm. You're you're purely sort of like this driven, you know, it's just your emotions happening inside you and they're bubbling out. And even I think the way we speak about uh, probably especially anxiety and depression, but but many emotions, there's sort of this sense of it's almost like this medical thing that's happening to me in a way that can end up divorcing my emotions from my soul. It's as if, well, I have anxiety because, you know, my, uh, the hackles on 
my neck are up and I'm having indigestion and I, you know, my heart is clenching in my chest and as if it was purely the the symptoms that defined what was going on when there, there's this vast sea of things in scripture about the fact that we live in a broken and dangerous world. There really are real things that beset us and that are problems. There's a right uh, acknowledgement that anxiety makes that uh, bad things can happen in a bad and fallen world, and that's really bad if they do. And so there's this right way in which anxiety is intended to drive us um, it, there may be physio physiological stuff we need to address, and that can help us uh, – that can actually even help us deal with our hearts. But at the end of the day, when when 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, it's making this profound statement about God's love and shepherding and sheltering of us in this fallen world and our ability to bring our hearts to him and to tell him, Lord, this is what I'm scared about. This is what I'm treasuring and what's precious to me um, and what I fear could happen to it. Like here, I'm putting it in your hands yet again today. Uh, if we miss that, if we see purely the physiological element of emotions and don't don't run to the Lord with them, we're, we're missing the key thing that Scripture is calling us to focus on. You really bring the term engage into the picture, you know, so not turning away and running from our emotions, but not making them all everything, you know, that's most true about us. Can you unpack those two common views of emotion, either approaching them, uh, believing they are everything or approaching them, believing they are nothing and explain why a posture of engagement really offers the Christian a more redemptive experience of their emotions? Yeah. In some ways, this is mapping onto what I was just talking about with the body, of seeing the body is nothing or the body is everything. And in the same way, our, our culture kind of has these two dominant perspectives. One is that emotion is everything. The other is that emotion is nothing. I would say of those two perspectives, at least at this moment in history and probably for the last you know, 40, 50 years or so, the dominant perspective has been that emotions are everything. That's that's the side that's on the rise. And mm -hmm. so that's just, I, I probably don't even need to say much more about that. I think most of the folks listening to us are probably nodding their heads right now being like, yeah, emotions are everything. That's what I hear. That's what I feel. That's what I see all around me. It's, uh, and, and I mean, we see it in issues of sexuality and uh, we see it in issues of what it means to be offended or not offended by other people's views. We see it in our public discourse. We see it in our children's movies. We see it all over the place. It's I mean, listen to any song on the radio. It's just the the dominant feel of our world right now is that the most important thing about you is how you feel. Mm -hmm. How do you feel is the defining element of of who you are, and the most important problem you could have is a problem of, oh, I don't feel good. I don't feel the way I want to feel. I don't feel authentic, or I don't feel right, or I feel like I should be something else, or I'm not happy if, about how I feel about myself and my self-esteem, or you know, you name it. Whether right or wrong in your assessment of your feelings, that this underlying assumption that your feelings are the most important, most defining thing about you is just sort of assumed in most places in our culture. And, and presumably then for most of us in the church, there's at least some level in which that has significantly influenced and impacted us, or maybe totally uh, that's how we think about it. We're not even aware of it. Uh, that is not how scripture approaches us. It does not show an ultimate value, an ultimate priority on how we feel about things. It takes our feelings very seriously, um, but it doesn't say, 
the most important thing, the greatest aspect of salvation is that Christ helps you feel good about yourself, right? That's not what we land with in inscription. In fact, in many ways, the gospel does not make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> uh, it makes you feel good about Christ, and it makes you feel great about his love for you despite who you are at times. Um, but it's not a it, it's not a pat on the back message that we preach. So all that to say, uh, I think that's a huge problem for us in dealing with our emotions. And, and what that naturally leads you to do with your emotions is to sort of say, okay, well, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to do whatever it takes. I've got to sacrifice whatever I've got to sacrifice in order to have the kind of emotions that I want to have. I've got to define myself. I've got to know what it feels like to feel good, and that's the most important journey I can be on. And, and that just pulls us in all kinds of unhealthy directions and away from, from where the Lord would, would have us grow in, in most situations. The flip side is there is also this stoic counterreaction, this stiff upper lip, this your emotions don't matter, avoid them, squash them, don't feel bad. If you're feeling bad, it's because you have too little faith, and so therefore the thing to do is just to, uh, to to cut it off. Don't feel. Don't let your emotions get the best if you don't listen to your emotions. And that, in one sense, I understand why in many places in the church, I think that's been the knee-jerk reaction is we see the culture going crazy for emotions around us and people doing whatever they feel is good. And, you know, and, and I mean, the Bible talks about it. Right at the end of the judges uh, narrative, you get this repeated refrain of, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. You know, we're just led by whatever we want, whatever we feel is good. Uh, we're we're kind of back in that zone now culturally. And so there's a right response of, ah, this is not good. We need to not let feelings just set the agenda. But uh, as often happens, the pendulum so easily overcorrects and you end up with the idea that we shouldn't be like David in the Psalms. We shouldn't be like Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. We shouldn't be like Paul, who is so emotional in his care for the people he's writing to and the churches he's founded and so on and so on and so forth. And you, you just, you watch God feeling really strongly about what's going on in his world. And that can mean plenty of of negative emotions. David was not uh, an emotionally calm, you know, just kind of kept it all together, never let his emotions show. You know, he's the one who's dancing in the streets and his wife is saying like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is a little inappropriate, <laughs> don't you think? So we, we can't do either of those. And so that leads to then this idea of engage, meaning don't avoid them, don't embrace them, don't have a, an initial, oh, well, whatever my emotions are, I have to take this one approach to them. Rather say, okay, let me see what my emotions have to tell me. Let me see what they are saying about what I value. Let my emotions help me understand who I am and what I care about and what I'm experiencing in life. And let me let those things bring me to the Lord with them. I want to engage the Lord as I engage my emotions. And they should be always helping me to run to the Lord Pouring out my heart to him means knowing my heart, and knowing my heart means bringing it to the Lord. Those are inseparable ultimately in our walk through this world. So engage was just our way of saying the Bible invites us to look at what's happening around us, look at how we feel about that, bring it to the Lord, and not assume that all strong emotions are bad or all strong emotions are good. Well, in the book, you guys do a really great job outlining what I think is a really helpful approach in learning how to engage our emotions from a biblical perspective. And so I wondered if you might take a few moments to outline for our listeners, you know, how can they engage their emotions in a practical way? What does that even look like in daily life? I, I, won't, I won't belabor the detail at the level uh, the book does, because this is basically the entire second section that really tries to say, here's what it looks like to engage your emotions well. But let me give just a couple of, of orienting practical thoughts. The first would be 
um, in terms of, of engaging your emotions, that the very first step really is saying, am I feeling something? <laughs> you know, I seem to be feeling something right now. Can I put any kind of name on it? And, you know, there's a lot of us and maybe more men than women who might say like, I don't really know what these emotions things are that you guys are talking about. Mm -hmm. Like my wife has emotions, but I don't think I really experienced this thing you're, you're talking about. Uh, I have a friend who, who said, yeah, I had an emotion once back in 1984, you know? <laughs> um, so I think there's a level initially of just saying, okay, what, what am I feeling? If you're in that category of like, okay, I'm listening to this or I read the book and I just don't really get it. I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't think I have much in the way of emotions. Then my two suggestions would be number one, talk to somebody that you know and trust and respect and say, hey, do you see emotions in me? Or even maybe what what do you think I really care about? What what seems especially important? And that segues to the second thing I would say, which is emotions are inherently related to what you care about, to what you value. Uh, whatever is important to you, whatever's on your heart, whatever you treasure, whatever you worship, that is going to define where your emotions circle around. Uh, your emotions are the the overflow of what you love and what you value and what you treasure. So anytime you're you're asking questions about emotions, you're also asking questions about value. What do I value? So in light of that, you have to start by saying, what am I feeling to the best extent you can? And sometimes the best you're going to be able to do is being like, man, I feel really off. I don't have any other words. I don't know if it's sad or scared or angry or some very nuanced combination of the three, or I don't know what I'm feeling, but I just feel off. That's a great place to start. Even just saying, I feel off. Um, so the more you can identify what's happening in you, the more you're going to be able to do something about it, do something with it. Now, what you do about it, again, engaging doesn't mean, okay, I've discovered that I'm off, so let me get back on. It might be that you're off in a way that's telling you something really important, and actually it's an appropriate time to be off. You know, you just lost your sister six months ago, and you're just still feeling really off. And what that's telling you is, you loved your sister and you miss her. And that was an important relationship in your life as well it should have been. And there's just a, a weightiness and a, and a darkness that's there in the wake of that. That's that I would, you would call that grief if you needed a more specific name than being off. And, and that's, that's appropriate. That's actually a right response to God gave this good gift. Uh, you and I were chatting right before the podcast about about David Pallison, uh, the uh, former executive director of CCEF, who just passed away in June of this year. And we've wept a lot of tears, and we have felt his absence. And one of the things that has been so clear to me through that is that there's this actual way in which the sorrow of losing a loved one is actually a form of worship, or, or at least it can be. And in and, and many cases, I think, has been for us of realizing, man, God gave such a good gift to us in David Pallison. And every sadness we feel about it is is a reminder, is a taste of how good the gift was. Like God gave something so sweet to us as a community, and we rightly miss it. We rightly sense that something good has been taken away. So all that to say, you identify what's going on as best you can. And then in terms of what you do about it, you, you have to have some examination. So you identify, you, you examine, you say, well, what what is going on? Why am I feeling this way? Where am I feeling this way? When does this emotion come up especially strongly? What seems to be my desire to respond to it? Like, how am I handling this? And as you look at that, you're going to have some sense of, okay, 
biblically are those good things. It, you know, I seem to be really, really upset about my sports team losing uh, and staying with me for you know four days after the game is over. Like, huh? Maybe this is telling me that there's too much value I'm placing on this particular thing, or maybe it's like I said, I you know I've I've lost a loved one, and it's very appropriate that this would really weigh on me. Or maybe it's uh, you know I'm I'm becoming petulant because I didn't get the promotion I wanted at work, or you know maybe there's an anxiety I'm experiencing over how my kids are doing in school and you know you're you're just going to try to dig in as best you can and just say okay what do i seem to be caring about what what are my values that seem to be getting reflected in this emotion and then ultimately you're going to be bringing those to the lord um saying okay here's what i'm seeing lord you're you're praying through it and then you're going to take some kind of action so you identify you're going to examine and evaluate and then you're going to take some kind of action and and that action might be okay lord i just need to accept the fact that this is a time of grief and as I'm feeling this offness, this downness, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pray to you and ask for help weathering today. And I'm gonna thank you again for bringing this person into my life. And I'm going to move on with with my day. And I'll be praying this again in 10 minutes probably. Other times it might be something very drastic. You know, like man, I am just losing my temper with my kids all the time. And I think it's because they're constantly getting in the way of me having the peace and quiet I yearn for in my house. And like. Okay, Lord, I really have got to stop seeing the goal of life as having peace and quiet in my house and instead begin to value more deeply the chance I have to grow up my children well, recognizing that that's going to mean discipline and it's going to mean encouragement. And I want to do a better – for me in my own parenting, one uh, phrase that's been super helpful was the idea of I want to discipline sooner and calmer. <laughs> a lot of times I don't discipline when I should because I'm trying to not – go there and it's inconvenient it's going to take time and i don't want to make them unhappy and so i sort of let it go but i'm getting a little bit pressured and pent up inside and then they do the next thing and i'm like oh and then i'm disciplining from a place of frustration rather than from a place of kindness and good you know focus on their interest all that to say okay the action there would be to say okay lord help me to really value the the discipline and nurture of my children more highly than the peace and quiet of my home. Now that's going to be an ongoing, you know, that's a lifelong growth area, but at least identifying it gives you something where you're working on it at the heart level. And then there's going to be all kinds of actions like maybe I need to discipline sooner and calmer um, in my case. Well, let's take the emotion of fear. I think that's something that all of us can relate to and to one degree or another. You touched on it just earlier in our conversation, but I'd like to, you know, you've kind of outlined what it is to engage our emotions. So I want to pick out a specific one just to really help our listeners understand this concept. And you guys observe in the book that fear is certainly the most common emotion we've seen drive people to seek counseling. So let's assume the audience listening today knows a thing or two about overwhelming fear. So Painting with a broad stroke, because we don't have a three-hour podcast <laughs> to share with people, how might they engage their fear? And what can that process reveal about their hearts along the way? It is such a broad um, struggle. Every person on the face of the planet feels anxiety, feels fear, feels the the reality that, uh, you know, as we said earlier, that bad things can happen in a fallen world. And that really matters. That's that's not irrelevant. It's not like, oh, well, because God's going to redeem all things at the end, therefore nothing that happens in the interim really has any significance. You know, you've got you've got Paul saying and 
uh, and Second Corinthians four that you know these light and momentary troubles are achieving this weight of glory that far outweighs them all. That is true. That is right. The point, however, is not oh yeah these trials aren't actually really that big a deal. The point is the glory to come and redemption is so amazing that it makes them light by comparison. But the trials are very real. The the frustrations, the hardships, the hurts, the losses are very real, and so. Anxiety, on one level, I, uh, Ed Welch, my colleague at CCF, recently said, and I, I thought it was a brilliant way to put it. He says, you know, you assume as a young Christian that the older you get, the less anxiety you will feel because you'll have a stronger faith. But actually, the way life works in God's kingdom is the more you learn to love, the more you've actually become vulnerable <laughs> because you now have more to lose because you've loved more people and you love them deeper and you've loved them better. And so in a sense, you're actually going to get more anxious as you become more mature in your faith. You're going to have more things that weigh on your heart, more right and godly concerns. And I, I think the, the verse for me that most kind of shifted my perspective on how to think about anxiety and fear is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, which uh, 2 Corinthians 11 is one of those chapters. It's like, if you're having a bad day, don't read this chapter because it's <laughs> totally going to take the wind out of your sails. Paul's like, it's this a litany of I was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and flogged and I've been naked and cold and sore and hungry. And it's just this like absolute disaster list of physical suffering. And so if you're having a bad day, you're going to be like, okay, I guess my life isn't so bad. I, I had this good like grumbling spirit all worked up and then I read Paul and I realize I don't actually have as much to complain about as I thought. Right. But the point is not read it on a bad day or not. The point is he gets to verse 28 after sending out this whole list of horrible things that he's been through physically. And then it's it's like he's adding this capstone in verse 28 when he says, on top of all this, I bear daily the weight of my anxiety for all the churches. And you have to be you have to slow down here because I think you, you might in you might run to the thought that Paul is sort of confessing his anxiety to us, but but he's not. <laughs> he's not confessing sin here. He's saying, I rightly bear this weight that I have for the churches. I have this burden on my heart because I love them, because I love the Lord, because I love the spread of his kingdom, because I helped plant these churches, and there's other churches I didn't help plant, but I care deeply about, Colossa, etc. And he's saying, these people are on my heart, and I know temptations can come. I know that wolves in sheep's clothing can come among them. I know there can be divisions and dissensions and rivalries, and you know, just think about all the things that Paul goes after when he writes to the churches and says, guys, put these things off. Put these away. These are not good for you. Instead, follow Christ. Have unity. Be of one mind. He knows how big a deal it is when churches have bad conflict in them and people hurt each other and sin against each other and are tempted and are indulging themselves in wicked things and so on and so forth. So all that to say, anxiety is, is fundamentally a way of saying there's something I care about and I have a concern that something bad could happen to it. And you might care about all kinds of bad things that you shouldn't have deeply on your heart, in which case your anxieties are going to be a reflection of the fact that uh, your heart is not in the right place in a lot of ways. You might have all kinds of good things you care about, and like my friend Ed Welch, that it, it, there's actually this growing weight on your heart of all your concerns for all the good things that you love because God loves them, all the good things and good people he's put in your life and in your church. And, and so the way we want to handle anxiety, having said all about all that sort of as background to here's what anxiety 
is and here's what's going on, the handling of anxiety is so much about engaging the Lord with it. And there may be cases where what you're going to say is, you know what? I need to take action here. There's something I need to do to protect. This anxiety is actually calling me to take a step of faith or courage or inconvenience or sacrifice to protect my children or my friend or to really step into this situation at church that's not going very well between my two friends. And like, I can't just stand by and keep the peace and hope for the best. I need to actually get involved in my anxiety over how they're doing is a, is a call to action. Um, in many other cases, there's going to be a, okay, I need to just leave this with the Lord. I'm not responsible to fix the situation. This isn't uh, something I can do much about. And so I have to bring it to him and say, Lord, I care about this. And it's right that I do. I'm, you know, these people are on my heart and Lord, I, there's nothing I can do, or my friend has cancer, or, uh, you know, I just, I see this brewing conflict over here, but I, I don't really have any ability to speak into the situation, or I'm estranged from my adult child and they don't really want to have any contact with me. And Lord, it just makes my heart ache, and I see them making choices that are terrible for their life. Please help them. My child is thinking they're transgender, whatever. Just places where you can have some action, but, but you recognize you're not in control. Uh, you don't have a significant ability to, to make a change, and, and there's going to be a lot of that First Peter 5, 7 mode of, okay, Lord, I'm just going to put this in your hands. Help me leave this with you. Please bring healing, bring light, bring redemption to the situation. And then lastly, there's gonna be times where anxieties, like I said, are, are, are calling you to actually repent. Um, you know, Lord, I can see that the thing I'm loving here is not actually something I should be loving. Uh, this has become too important to me. This has got too much of my heart. Oh, Lord, forgive me and change me and help me to to let go of this. I've got to stop being so fixated on my physical appearance or my bank accounts or success in my workplace or the success of my children or success of how, how people perceive how well the ministry is going at church or, you know, Matthew 6, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and, and all these things will be added to you. The Lord knows what you need. Let him be the one to worry about these other things. So as a broad sweeping uh, sense of what what we do with anxieties, that, that gets us started. Yeah, and it's a really great start, to be honest. And I would just encourage the audience, if anything that you are listening to today is pricking your heart and you want to learn more, the book is the best way to really get guided through this idea of engaging your emotions, whether it is fear, sorrow, guilt, grief, anger, whatever it may be. So get the book if you want to learn more about how to really apply this to your daily life. Well, we're just about out of time. So I want to go ahead and invite you to do something that I ask every guest on the podcast to do, which is to talk directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who is wrestling with a web of tangled emotions. Maybe they're walking through a period of suffering, and they aren't sure how to handle the flood of negative emotions that seem to consume them. Perhaps the listener is dealing with a spiritual battle and the weight of their circumstances is tempting them to either detach themselves from God or from others. What would you have to say to this person to give them the courage they need to engage their emotions by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Oh, I really appreciate appreciate that question. Let me um yeah, let me let me speak let me speak directly and, and simply recognizing that um, whatever you are are dealing with, it's not it's not like I can sit here and give one quick 
prescription of, oh, if you have a struggle with your emotions, here's what to do in, in every situation, because the Lord does walk uniquely with each of us through each of our different struggles. He's telling a different story that's all part of his larger story with every single life. Uh, we are unique individuals, and, and that is true for you, and it's true for me. Let, let me give you, though, a couple of just encouragements and, and maybe orienting thoughts if you are feeling especially overwhelmed, if emotions are the thing where you'd be like, yeah, that that is me, or I'm connecting to this at least on some significant level because I, I just find my emotions are a big piece of uh, – that, that's what shakes me. That's what rocks me. That's the thing that, that I can't seem to get where it needs to be or where I want it to be in my life. Um, the first would be – and I don't think this will come as a surprise to you, but um, if you haven't spoken to anyone about it, if, if you're dealing with this on your own, if you're feeling – freaked out or, or, or panicked about the idea of anyone else having that kind of access to your inner being and thoughts and feelings, I, I would beg you to, to trust Jesus with your life, with your emotions, with the things you care about, with, with even your fear about speaking out. Trust him by going to someone that you feel like has a decent chance of of being helpful, of being willing to listen. Uh, in some cases, that might be go seek out a Christian counselor. Um, in some cases, that might be, uh, you know what, you have you have a friend and you have a sense that this person does have a real groundedness in their faith and maybe even they've grown in their ability to deal with their emotions or they seem to be stable but not totally flat in their emotions. And you just want to say like, you know what, I could benefit from from speaking with someone like that. So if you haven't if you haven't trusted another person, uh, a person that God has put in your life in some way uh, with your emotions, I would I would beg you to do that, to reach out. There is just something real about the way that God has made us dependent on him and dependent on each other. The church is not a bunch of lone rangers who are all doing ministries uh, simultaneously. The church is a body. We need each other, and this is one of the huge ways that, that you can actually express faith in him by by walking into that, I think my my second comment would be uh, whether or not you've talked to to another person, just recognizing that a a very overwhelming, very tangled, very confusing web of emotions is uh, is not inherently a bad or wrong thing to be feeling, because we live in a confusing world. And there's really good stuff going on, and there's really bad stuff going on, and you are bumping into all of that every day. And maybe some days you bump into more of the bad stuff and some days it's more of the good stuff. Maybe you're someone who by temperament tends to focus more on the bad stuff or on the good stuff. And for most of us, the call in life is actually to um, to a broader experience of emotions, to, um, to, to saying like, you know, if my instinct is to sort of like shut out the bad stuff and just sort of whistle zippity-doo-dah and go about my day and keep things looking stable, you know, uh, Part of love is actually opening your heart to a world that's got real brokenness and real sorrow and entering into other people's lives more and vice versa. If you're someone who always looks at the negative and you always find the the gloomy lining on a silver cloud, you know, if you're somebody who who just what what naturally grabs your heart is the painful stuff in your life, um, especially if that if that tends to then come out in a, a spirit of grumbling or a an a self-isolating and cutting yourself off from things or always tending to see others as uh, offending you, stepping on your toes. They can never seem to understand you. Um, you know, e whichever side of that spectrum you're on, 
almost all of us need to grow in the other half of the spectrum and seeing like, okay, this has been really hard. That was really hurtful what she said, but the Lord is also doing good things in my life. And you know what? She's also been very kind to me. And I think seeing that broader picture and allowing joy and sorrow to be deeply mingled is really hard, but it's a part of growing in our faith. It's a part of responding to all of what God is doing, not just some of what is happening in the in the broken world around us. So so talk to someone if you haven't recognized that having complicated emotions is is on one sense actually inescapable. And then lastly, um it is appropriate to to look at emotions and be like, man, I just this is just killing me. I, I don't know I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to think about it. I'm you talked earlier about examining and evaluating. I don't even know where I would begin to do that. And I would just say, take it one step at a time. Part of God's grace is that it isn't about figuring out all of your emotions in one fell swoop. In fact, it isn't even about figuring out your emotions. Your goal is not to become some emotional self-reflection guru who knows everything about what's going on inside them and can perfectly identify, well, I, if I'm feeling this, then it's because I'm valuing this, and I need to repent of that and reinforce this. And uh, It's not that it's bad to know more. The more you have insight into what's going on in your life, the better that does help you in bringing it to the Lord. But fundamentally, your hope is not your insight or your own ability to deal with your emotions. Your fundamental hope is a God who knows you, a God who knows what's in your heart, a God who is redeeming you even when you're being completely blind to what's going on inside you. And so at the end of the day, if all you can say is, I feel overwhelmed and I don't know what to do with that, uh, as well as bringing that to other people and asking for help and asking for prayer and asking for encouragement and seeking out insight from others who know you or a counselor, there's this wonderful freedom you have. And in Christ, as a Christian, to say, Lord God, I am overwhelmed. I am feeling the fact that I am not in control of my life or this world or even my own body or emotions. Will you walk with me? Help me to trust you with all the complexity and the overwhelmingness and the I don't know what to do here one day at a time. Will you give me this day my daily bread, even at an emotional level? Will you lead me by green pastures and quiet waters, knowing that like a sheep, you know, I'm scared to drink. If there's any like bubble to the waters, I, I, I pull back, but I need to drink. Like take me where I can get a little sip today from your grace um, and help me see it. Help me taste it. Help me trust you with my emotions, knowing that they really matter to me and I don't know what to do with them. Well, I'm so thankful that you took the time today to um, share all of that with the audience. I wondered if you might spend just a quick minute letting people know where they can connect with the CCEF. What are some of the helpful resources that are available to the audience? Yeah, you know, so one thing I probably should have said earlier is that CCEF stands for the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, which is kind of a mouthful. You can see why we abbreviate down to four letters. Um, but uh, CCEF is a it's a it's a counseling ministry, but fundamentally it's actually a training ministry. We want to help the church, we want to help Christians, we want to help people to understand how Christ is at actually the center of the task of counseling, and that counseling is something on some level that all of us are called to. It's not just some special uh, group of people who are capital C professional counselors. And, and we want that to ha be happening more and more as part of the warp and woof and atmosphere of what's going on in every church. So we've got tons of resources on our website, which is ccef 
Charlie, Charlie Echo Foxtrot, uh, org. And there's a podcast and there are videos and conference talks and audio and blogs and articles and you can connect to tons of books i i mentioned ed welch earlier he's written a bunch of books on various emotions fear and anger and shame and i've just found all of them profoundly impacting so if you go to ccef.org um you could spend thousands of hours uh digging into the various resources there uh, and a ton of different media uh, that would be the, the place that i would encourage you to to follow up if you have questions about uh, emotions or really anything else in the in the world of hey there are problems in living and i know the scripture must speak to them what kinds of things does it have to say well thank you again for joining us on the hope and help project i truly hope that today's episode and the conversation uh really blesses the audience who are, are listening so thank you again for taking the time thank you so much for having me this has really been a pleasure before we let you go i'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project there you can check out show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Alistair's books and other helpful resources. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.